0: Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're joining us today. Politics, gender issues, depression, anxiety, and other topics are firmly in the headlines. But what does it look like for Christians to engage with others for the sake of the gospel in the context of these hard cultural issues? I'm glad to welcome back our friend, Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, today to talk about how we can engage the culture in 2021. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me again. I always love coming on to uh, just converse with you and to serve God's people. It's exciting to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: We always enjoy having you on because you do give a very passionate pastoral um, take on everything that is a good reminder for all of us. And we've got some Big topics today your new book faith that engages the culture releases early february we're recording this in mid-january so in a couple of weeks this book will be out and it's it's a wonderful look at some hard topics and ways that we can prepare ourselves to effectively um, engage with other people to help bring them to know the gospel so it's it's a very well-done book. So thank you for the energy you put into that.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So before we dig into a lot of the specific issues that are out there, let's let's set the stage with some big picture items. We're seeing a lot of highly charged issues swirling around, whether that be in the news headlines, on social media, in water cooler conversations. And it's really not hard to find people who are feeling and expressing their offense at whatever the outrage du jour may be, in your new book you write, "Quote: Regardless of how much one might be offended by another person, that person is as important to God as his most faithful and ardent Christian." This can be hard for a Christian to swallow, but it's true. Could you unpack that for us? Because it's it's a big it's a big statement here that's that I think we need to dig into a bit.
1: Um so uh, yeah it's a great it's a great way to start um and and my first thought is to uh keep in mind a a basic distinction that i think a lot of our list a lot of our listeners a lot of christians understand that we should strive to make a distinction between uh, the person and the sin um this is this is crucial um and when, when we don't make this this distinction i I think there's a lot of confusion and and satan who's a trickster and a deceiver has a way of really getting us off track in terms of what it means to live in the world as christians um so i i think we need to remind ourselves that yes the holy scriptures say that we are to hate that which is evil okay so so when we're upset uh regarding evil things that are in the world um Okay, we get it. We, we understand. God gets it more importantly. And, and we're being faithful to God when when we are disturbed by these very important matters. We should be. If we're not, there's something wrong with our faith, quite frankly. However, the problem comes is when we translate that into hating the person behind the evil. And, and that's when we forget that our Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely serious and his command to love our neighbor as ourself. And who is our neighbor? You know, we, we, we talk about that. And we give very simple definitions, but let me get to the core. Our neighbor is the person who is in front of us. And that person in front of us might have a different quote unquote lifestyle. They might have a different political affiliation. They, they might be a Satan worshiper. But that person is someone for whom Jesus Christ shed his blood. And proves and verifies, therefore, that he loves that person as much as any Christian. So we have to keep this distinction clear before us as we go forward to engage the culture.
0: What does it mean when you say engage the culture? What does that look like?
1: So um, I I wrote this book out of a, a grave concern I've had for many years that, you know, we all know that witnessing, sharing the faith, faith evangelism all the different ways we refer to this as being crucial it's consistent with the great commission Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them everything which i have commanded you and surely i will be with you to the very end of the days so we know it it is our commission to broadcast and to share the saving gospel of jesus christ but i think we get lost along the way elizabeth in terms of how we do that now certainly we do that through the faithful ministry of the office of the ministry which god's people support and receive the proclamation of the word the administrative administration of the sacraments but we need to understand that it continues in the daily lives of royal priest disciples christians in every day vocation christians go out as salt and light and they two are called to share the gospel. But I think this is where the confusion comes in. What does this look like? And frankly, as we have been confused about this and things remain fuzzy, Christians get really intimidated and afraid about what it means to share the gospel and daily vocation out in the world. Sometimes we have images that, you know, if, if we're going to do it, it means that we get on some kind of soapbox and we start preaching to people around us. No, that's not what it's about. What it's really about is engagement in the sense that that word brings out an understanding of the priority to live in relationship. First of all, a relationship with God that I take into my vocations where I am in my faith on a daily basis, seven days a week, setting apart Christ as holy in my heart. I'm starting to quote 1 Peter 3.15, by the way, major section in this book. So I am going, I am going forth worshiping Christ and honoring Christ as I'm doing whatever I do, whether I'm babysitting or I'm conducting a surgery or I'm teaching people. And then the relationship that I have with God then goes forward in the relationship with a person. And a relationship is a two-way thing. It is not a one-way thing. We don't lecture to people. We don't pat ourselves on the back because, well, I really told them, you know, I, I held my moral ground and I, you know, and 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 I, I ended up successfully demonizing them, you know, and and we we treat that as some kind of uh, spiritual notch to celebrate. No. Engagement is a two- way understanding of communication where we invest just as much, if not more effort to listen and to understand and truly love the person that Christ died for, and then respond with the truth. Yes but with the truth of the gospel presented in such a way that most touches that person where they are in their lives. And I explained very thoroughly in this book, it doesn't mean we change the gospel. It doesn't mean we accommodate the word and and we we treat it situationally in terms of changing. No, but we apply it according to where the person is at. So engagement is a two way street that is very considerate about the person. I talked about Christians, not only prioritizing, The mining and understanding and research of the word of Christ, but the mining and the investment in understanding human beings, people for whom Jesus died. And if we only care about broadcasting the word, we don't care about the people themselves. We're really shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to evangelization. So engagement really encompasses all those considerations.
0: I love how you said that in the book where you say the Christian is to invest in getting to know people with the same vigor they have in getting to know the word of Christ. And just the way you just described it, it's so important to remember that it is a two-way street and we have responsibility to know who we're talking to because some we might have a million and one differences, but somewhere along the way, we're going to find something that we have in common with this person
1: what you just said is is a key principle in in this book that that i bring out from scripture it's a scriptural principle Um, and as you know i i think it's important when we write to god's people to equip the church that we we offer uh, schemas and um, systems ways of easily understanding because god's word is so clear and so light and we have a habit of making it too complicated it's not it's clear And so we we use a teaching tool in this book that I refer to as the engagement triangle. And we start off on top of the equilateral triangle. The very top is a perspective, it's a biblical perspective. And then we go down to one of the corners, let's say the right corner of the triangle in front of you. And we go to the second point or the second P from perspective to people, to people. And then we go on to the third point which is place but let me go back to that second point people because it touches on what you brought up here to emphasize what the scriptures say about people i bring out a study on first corinthians 9 22 where saint paul is divulging and revealing his missionary strategy he says i have become all things to all men that i may save all by all possible means there's a lot of alls involved in that statement and it means what is he doing I am this is an easy way of putting it and we should put it in the most clear terms by the way this is what your dad always does that's what I love about his teaching you get into the shoes of other people you do your best to walk their walk to understand them that's oh yeah I'm not gonna go there that's just you know that's sad and that's wrong and that's sinful I don't want to relate to that person No, 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 no. Christ came for sinners. And we should take on the attitude, just what you said, that if this is our priority, you know what God is telling us? There is always the opportunity to find common ground. It is 100% assured that no matter how far off that person might seem in front of us, Elizabeth, there is something we have in common with that person. And we are to strive to identify it For the sake of the gospel, and to recognize it and to celebrate it and use it as a springboard for sharing Jesus Christ.
0: And as we are on that springboard, we have to recognize that the words we choose to share the word of God with that person have to fit the person in the scenario. We can't have a one size fits all approach because that's not going to work.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, um, this is why uh, looking at perspective looking at people looking at place those three P's on the engagement triangle is so important because all three of those bring out what you just said there has to be kind of a custom made or tailor-made engagement for the person the the first P of perspective going back to first Peter 3 15 set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts as holy always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Notice, do it with gentleness. If you're being gentle towards the, that person you're speaking to, gentleness, for example, will show um, that you are kind towards that person. You are practicing love. And, and so now every detail about that person is important. And then, of course, you go to the the second point on people, just as I said before about becoming all things to all men. Uh, Paul's not being disingenuous. He's being sincere in truly sympathizing with people to understand them to the best of his ability. And then when you go to place, I I bring out Acts 17, Elizabeth, because in the place we have this amazing example of St. Paul. When he went to Athens and he went to the Athenians, gathered at the Areopagus, you want to talk about an example of, of learning how to apply the word of God to a unique situation. He knew they were polytheists, but he finds a way to, to state up front a true genuine observation that established commonality. Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way, that this was not an insult by the way. This was, this was stating a fact, it was a true statement. And so he has common ground as people who are religious who seek the truth. And then what does he do? He uses their own environment where they have an altar to the so-called unknown God. And it's a perfect opportunity for him to say, Let me introduce you to this God. <laughs> and that's when he talks about the creator and he eventually gets to the resurrected Christ. And along the way, I didn't bring up this point in the book because you know the, the book can only be so long. But in Acts 17. He then goes on to quote their poets two times. So he's getting into their shoes. He's getting into their worldview. He's getting into their um, their literature and the things that they're familiar with. And he's going out of his way to serve where they're coming from.
0: Which is such a healthy way to approach building a relationship versus trying to be up on your high horse, beating someone over the head with your opinion. So it's, I think it's a much better way to handle People that. People are
1: starving for this, um, Elizabeth. We um, Unfortunately, too, too often on social media, even represented by very fine conservative sources that I truly respect in many, many cases, what ends up happening is a perpetuation of division and anger and angst where we are drawing that line of demarcation. It's us versus them. And when that happens, we lose the vision of Jesus. Jesus came and ate with sinners. I mean, he there was no line of demarcation. He got dirty in terms of a life lived around desperate sinners. And so we can't go along with what we're seeing in the culture. And, and, and by the way, to, to live that way really promotes further isolationism. We convince ourselves we have to avoid people. No, hate that which is evil, but love people. Don't stop going out.
0: You're seeing that um, in a rather pronounced way these days where people are unfriending people who disagree with them. They're threatening to boycott people and businesses who express opinions and it's just not healthy. What, How is engagement impacted when Christians are militant and then conversely, if they stay quiet?
1: Yeah, this is a very important question. And, and by the way, our, our the president the president of our synod matthew reverend dr matthew harrison has spoken to this um and um it, it's an important balance we we are avoiding both um an extreme activism on the one hand and an extreme quietism on the other uh we are living in a balance um which is very scriptural in so many different ways it's truly the way of wisdom so on the one hand um we, we understand that extreme activism really starts to confuse the kingdoms. We, we start to act as if our Christian identity in the kingdom of God is completely bound in the civil realm. It's not. The civil realm can go completely crazy into chaos. That is not going to mean that somehow your faith is less legitimate or important or vital. You're still in the hands of God. God's grace hasn't changed for you. God, and I need to say that we said this in one of the prior meetings we had, is still in control, completely in control. In John chapter nine, as Jesus is standing before Pilate, Jesus essentially tells Pilate, I have given you the power to crucify me. So go ahead and do it. I'm still in control. I know what I'm doing. And well, wow, what did he do? Well, he just saved everybody from sin and crush the devil's head that's all <laughs> you know so so we have to understand that when we get into this activism we start to assume that we have to merge the kingdoms we have to confuse the realms and now it's up to us somehow to make things happen because god can't <laughs> quietism goes too far to the other extreme it forgets that we are indeed still citizens of the civil realm that God has put us here to be salt and light. If you're salt and light, you have to be by definition interactive, Elizabeth. You have to be out in the world. You're there to preserve the the world and society as much as possible in this very dangerous age. And you're here to be light, to shine upon darkness, to give people hope who are are in despair. Uh, If God permits me, this is the third book I'll be proposing to CPH. Uh, faith that preserves the culture. Um, But let's focus on the second book right now.
0: (laughs) We'll come back to faith that preserves the culture in a future episode, but that sounds like a great topic to dig into. Um, So when we see that, uh, what happens when as Christians, if we stand up for uh, inhibitions against morality, how do we expect the culture to respond?
1: Okay, so that, that's a, a very important question, and it touches on a major theme in my book. Um, we have We have an obligation as God's people when it comes to actually sharing the word of God to always be prepared to present the two ways or the two messages or two themes, which as you well know is law and gospel. When we are confronted by actual sins or individual sins or manifestations of the sinful condition, which touches on issues of morality, sexuality, for example, uh, these kinds of things. Yes, we are to always maintain that the law of God identifies certain actions and behaviors and positions to be wrong, to be sinful, to be anti-God, to be against life that will not only hurt the person in real empirical practical ways, but hurt their relationship with the living God. Okay. But here's, here's where I'm going with this. While all of that is true, unfortunately we have the nasty habit of getting stuck there and obsessing about the details. And Elizabeth, that's just wrong. If if we start to obsess about the details and we get so wrapped up and upset about the individual sins or the actual sins that offend us what's going to happen is we're going to get into an argument and we're going to be so focused on those outline um, results or symptoms of the core problem we'll never get to the core issue now in my book i bring out what happened in john chapter 4 with jesus and the woman of samaria the samaritan woman did jesus touch on The immediate ethical or moral problem in her life yes he did he calls her out on her sexual compromise with having many husbands and the man she was with now she was essentially committing fornication however elizabeth jesus did not remain stuck there he did not go on and on and on about her violating the sixth commandment what he shifted to in showing her that he cared about her giving her full attention and his love is eventually the bigger issue about how she was worshiping and whether she was worshiping the true God. So he got to the core and that's our example. So yeah, we're, we're going to be, as we go into the world, we're, we're going to be confronted with all these issues. And if we choose to focus on the outline issues, the actual sins, the world is going to see us, as being politically motivated, as being moralist, as being judges, as being better than thou's. And how is the how's the world going to treat us? They're they're going to they're going to shun us. They're going to say, look, no one should listen to you. You, you, you deserve to be a part of my cancel culture practices because all you're doing is judging me. So we should expect that. Now we get to that opportunity to share and get, get to the core issues. That doesn't mean that even after we do it right, if we do it right by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit leading us, that we won't still be rejected. I bring out in the book in Acts 17, we we read of three basic reactions towards Paul when he did all that he did by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 17. Some, some just um, said he was crazy. They completely rejected what he said. Um, so we have to be, we have to be ready to be rejected, to be demeaned. The second reaction was someone said, hmm, you know, I, I want to hear more. I want to hear, I'm going to maintain my position, straddling the fence, but I want to hear more. And the third reaction was people came to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word. And I add to the to our book, because our 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 culture has fallen to so much secularization that we have to expect yet a fourth thing to deal with and that is so much of the culture considers the gospel of jesus christ the word of god to be simply irrelevant it doesn't matter i don't even care enough to listen so we have to be prepared for that these are major roadblocks in, in our presenting the gospel but here's the thing remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood it's not about the roadblocks themselves but against the unseen forces in spiritual realm And we have Jesus on our side, the Holy Spirit leading through the word. We call on the name of Jesus for us to overcome these obstacles so that we can share the gospel in a loving way. It's possible. It's more than possible. God says to ask him and and he'll grant it. This is according to his will. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.
0: Amen to that. It's staying in the word to stay strong. I think we need to be there given all the challenges that we're going to be up against, um, you know, in the, this year and beyond. What is it? If Because God has created and redeemed all of us. There's no exceptions to that. What does that tell us about the value and significance of every single human yeah, life? That's
1: uh, extremely important because it really trains our minds how to see the person in front of us um when you think about it god is saying i i am i am trusting you my child my dear daughter my dear son so much in christ jesus to allow you to have the privilege and the honor to share my love and my word my gospel with this person in front of you and to really make it real for us we should review who this person is they are a person included in the gospel. We, we, we often cite John three sixteen, 16, and, and it's, 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 it's properly emphasized for God to love the world. This person is included in that saving gospel proclamation. What we know objectively, as a matter of fact, Jesus was conceived for this person, born for this person, lived under the law for this person, died for this person shedding his blood for this person, rising for this person, ascending for this person in front of me, and even now praying for this person. For God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And God just takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So this is all true of this person. And furthermore, to think of what it means for us. That God is allowing us to live our good purpose here on earth, always to give him glory and to serve him through holy vocation. If we are active in actually sharing the gospel of this person, God is saying, I'm affirming you as my child because I've called you to open your mouth. Oh, Lord, open down my lips and I will declare your praise. We're doing it as we share. So to, to be committed to this is to say amen to everything God says about the inestimable worth of this person and the inestimable importance of our call to be royal priests.
0: How has cultural sexuality strayed away from God's creation?
1: So, um, before I get to the the last three chapters on um, the the issues that are within us, which include sexuality, uh, depression, and um, mental illness, um, I I have some uh, some some preliminary chapters that that talk about fundamental issues that include, for example, individualism, relativism, and skepticism. But I also talk in one of the significant chapters prior to the sexuality chapter about secularism. And l- let me go, I, I can actually address your question through any of those four isms. But
0: let me, let me, Take your
1: pick. Let me Take your pick. <laughs> what secularism is doing fundamentally is saying that um the the values and the thinking of of people is what is now authoritative our view as people as as finite people in the world is the only view that matters and and that view is in secularism is a view for self-preservation of doing what I want, what's best for me. And that self-centeredness that comes out of it automatically uh, conducts a very utilitarian view of the world around us. If, If something is getting in my way for my pleasure and my living and my life, then I'm just gonna run over it. And one of the biggest inconveniences of that view is that there would be a God. Because if there is a God, I can't do what I want. I can't be the one who calls the shots. And so what does secularism do? Fundamentally, it removes God from the culture. And Elizabeth, once you remove God from the culture, you remove God's law from the culture. And if you remove God's law from the culture, guess what? Christian morality, godly morality, right morality is thrown out the window. There is no morality. And if there is no morality, then, then what is what is sexuality anymore? What is male and female? Those things, again, are ignored. They're, they're cast aside. So if, if that's what secularism does, it puts the, posi- the person in a position to believe the satanic lie that you aren't what God says you are in his word, male or female. You are whatever you think you want to be. You can be an it. You can be both. You can be neither. You get to decide. This is what secularism does. Secularism is the modern version of the Tower of Babel. It's building your way to glory in heaven on your own strength and your own steam. So secularism inherently rejects God. I talk about uh, the example in my book, um, which is, is an approach that says, look, first of all, the, the, the secularists will say, you can't believe anything that religions tell you, any religions, including Christianity, because they're just stories that are made up. Whenever you hear a story, you know that it's made up. Now, what's inherently funny about this and, and kind of self-defeating is that this the secularist who's making this argument is, it, is they are themselves giving a story. And so they're all already presenting a self-defeating view, but they go on to say that because Just look at all the damage that's been caused. Even Christians who tell their stories, look at how hypocritical they've been in history and how Christians have made mistakes and Christians have done this. And therefore, all the interpretations are wrong. Well, that's that's just a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. Just because representatives make mistakes and just because there's been a history of misinterpretation, which by the way is true for any field you can name, including science, by the way, doesn't mean there isn't a correct interpretation. It doesn't mean that something is not true just because it's misrepresented. So we need to be ready to uh, make a Christian apologetic against the secularists. Now, I, I don't want to make this sound complicated because my goal in this book is really to keep things simple. But one of the things I do is I reveal some of the really knucklehead arguments that are out there against the Christian faith.
0: And it'll be very helpful for our readers to dive into that and to explore those knucklehead arguments that they're able to combat them and recognize them when they see them. So if we're in a case where we're talking to someone, if we're not condoning their their sexual sin or any sin, but we're truly loving that person committing it, what does that look like? Because I think some people have a hard time yeah, thank separating you very much. the sin yeah. and Yeah, so
1: So I think it begins with this realization of, in in engagement, remember how we said it's a two way street, right? Engagement. And, and part of that, when I say, you know, that that second point on the triangle people, it's not just my neighbor in front of me, but it's me. It's, it's me. And and so I have to consider me. (laughs) And, and as I consider me, I am reminding myself, Elizabeth, between the two people in this scenario, myself and the other person, I already know, I already know who the worst sinner is and it ain't the other person. I know more about my sin than anybody else in the world next to Jesus. And if I really know that, I am going to be by the by the Holy Spirit completely humbled and to understand that one sinner is coming to another sinner. And so we say in the book very clearly, it's not a matter of getting into the boat with a person. We're already in the boat with the person. and and let me get really practical here you asked the question about sexuality the, the sexual problems out there are reflections of violations of the sixth commandment you shall not commit adultery and what i'm saying to you right now is that every christian in the christian church has broken the sixth commandment they have broken it in in one way shape or form whether in their thought life in their in their words what they've done or what they have not done and what they did before marriage, what they've done during marriage. You talk to Michael Selmink, fantastic executive director of Lutherans for Life, he'll remind you that, you know, in, in in kind of paraphrasing, don't pat yourself on the back just because you never actually committed physical fornication or or committed physical adultery. If you're married and you're conducting yourself with passionate lust towards your towards your spouse and not treating them with honor, guess what? You're breaking the sixth commandment. So nobody gets a free pass here. And Jesus, in, in this part of, the, part of the Beatitudes, makes it very clear that if you even have the wrong thought towards a person, you violated the sixth commandment. So if all of that is true, <laughs> we have come to a place in this engagement where I'm talking to one who is like me and I am like them. That doesn't mean that we condone the sin. It doesn't mean we say it's OK. Now, we need to repent. We need to turn away from it. But that person needs to see, first of all, that we're willing to love them. We're willing to know them. We're willing to listen to them. So I become more able to do that if I begin with this first step of knowing that I'm in the same boat with them. And then how do I proceed? I proceed in reminding myself that anybody who is engaged in a sexual sin, breaking the sixth commandment, is expressing our deep human desire to love and to be loved we are starving for a companionship we, we we are fighting against loneliness we want other people to know us we want to be known i have that in common with this person too and so remember what i said about not obsessing with the actual sins i'm going to remind myself that this is not my opportunity to obsess and to and therefore come off as judging them But I'm gonna take the time to be in the same boat to, quote, eat with sinners, unquote, as we see Jesus doing in the gospels. And I wanna befriend the person. In this chap, by the way, in this book, Faith That Engages the Culture, in going into very uh, important specialty areas, I knew I needed help. So I recruited 12 experts in the field for the various chapters. This this is a wonderful learning experience for me. It's a fantastic reminder of the body of Christ. For the for the chapter on sexuality, Bar- Brian Barlow, who is who specializes in reaching out to those who are experiencing gender confusion or same sex attractions, doing a phenomenal job as a vicar out here in the Pacific Southwest District. He is a very very gifted young man, and um, he he reminds me, he says very very often, my first step in engagement with people in sexual sin is to spend hardly any time on the specific sexual sin. I want people to see that I care enough to listen and to get to know them. And you know what he does after he he listens the first time and he's fully praying that he'll have a second and third opportunity to see them again, et cetera? Is he'll ask them after showing real love and concern and investment, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life where you need help, where you need God's help? And then he'll pray for the person and then he comes back and after a while he's he's described many scenarios where the relationship has just built and grown and grown and the person now starts to form some respect towards you some trust towards you and then you can start to talk to them more specifically about what's getting in the way with their walk with god sexual sin is a very serious sin that gets in the way with our walk with god but Brian knows to be patient and to invest in getting to know people first. There's a lot involved there, but I do get into it in more detail in the book.
0: It's, it's well worth the read. When it comes to um, engaging with people who have addictions or other mental health challenges, why is it important that we shouldn't bypass the consideration of spiritual influences?
1: Yeah, th- th- this is a great question. Uh, as a matter of fact, early on in the book, um, when we talk about a culture, you know, the the, the title Faith That Engages the Culture, um, in talking about place, where, where we are, I, I really highlight the importance that Christians remember something that I, I brought out in the first book, Faith That Sees Through the Culture, about dualities and paradoxes, that what is real is not only what we see with our eyes but what is unseen there's a spiritual realm now it's easy to say that and we all say it and confess it as christians we believe in the invisible but do we really do we really to the extent that when we are when we're engaging with a person are we fully aware that there are other forces involved in that engagement okay so <laughs> when people are are dealing with addictions very, very often those people are just inundated with shame, inundated with guilt, inundated with a sense that I am completely hopeless. I am completely stuck. And when people feel that way and think that way, there's a dark spiritual force that is oppressing them to convince them that that's their situation. And we have to understand that if we just say, look, I can't help you until you address that addiction and I'm just wasting my time. If we say that, if we act that way, what we're doing is we're saying everything that God says about the power of the gospel isn't true. We have to understand people with addictions, because they're filled with shame and guilt, what what are they constantly doing? They're they're constantly lying. That's that's the language of the addict. Don't let that surprise you. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be offended by that. Oh, you're not going to tell me the truth? Well, we're This conversation's done. No, 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 no. Understand that this is where they're at. This is how they speak. This is what's going to happen. But the way I can come back is with a gospel that has no conditions in terms of the objective truth of Christ for them. Christ is still for you. Christ still loves you. Christ still forgives you. You still have God's mercy in Christ. You still have hope. In Christ. And so so even if the person is living in despair and living with lies, we can come back with patience and compassion and truth and trust that as part and parcel of the spiritual realm that's most important, actually, is the Holy Spirit who can work through the word to overcome the shame and overcome the addiction by the power of God. So I, I'm glad you brought this up. This is a biggie. And um, we we just we need to remember that there's no such thing as an utterly hopeless situation because God is the God who raises the dead.
0: And that's his his power, and it's it's good to be reminded of that, and especially in this Pandemic time where you've seen the numbers of people struggling with addictions and anxiety and depression and other things climbing. We need to be very sensitive to this as we're engaging with these people. As we start to wrap up, what final words of encouragement do you have for our listeners to keep in mind as they go about engaging with others?
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I want to, for this question, I want to go back again to 1 Peter 3.15 to set apart Christ as Lord, uh, set apart Christ as holy in your hearts, um, and to always be prepared to give an answer for those who ask you for the hope that is within you, but do with gentleness and respect. Um, what is so helpful about this particular verse and perspective is that engagement, sharing the faith, we get so intimidated again, We get, we're we're afraid, we're nervous, but we can be so encouraged because 1 Peter 3.15 is teaching us that engagement doesn't even begin with the person in front of you. It begins with you, Christian, and God. Setting apart Christ as holy in your heart. And, and to realize that when we invest in our our daily living and our baptism, our constant worship and word and sacrament, and our receiving God's grace and constant mercy, and holding to that, and living in daily prayer and the word of God, God is so blessing us that he is going to start taking over to put us in an effective position to engage. And then secondly, once we get to that point, and this is, I'm so glad you asked this question because very, very often, uh, keep in mind, I love Christian apologetics. I have a master's in Christian apologetics. I, I can talk about apologetics, but a lot of times people get the idea that 1 Peter 3.15 is for experts in apologetics. That if you can't give this philosophical and and deep defense of the reliability of Scripture and historical evidence for the resurrection, then you can't do 1 Peter 3.15 rubbish. The fundamental meaning of giving an answer is to give a testimony. It's just to state the truth. You don't necessarily have to quote Scripture. You don't necessarily have to cite a Bible verse. You don't have to make a philosophical argument. <laughs> All you need to do is testify to what is true. God loves you. God loves you. And he loves you on account of Jesus Christ, who was born for you and lived for you and died for you. And that's that's the guarantee that God is on your side. Now, Elizabeth, that's a tes- That's a truthful testimony. And at the core of 1 Peter 3.15, that's all we have to do. And then finally, as a third point to encourage our listeners, remember the last part. We do this with gentleness. You know, we get nervous sometimes that this is going to turn into an argument. We're not out for arguments. We're not out to be argumentative. That, that's not the goal of witnessing. Satan would have us believe that so that we would get all out of sorts. No, this is an opportunity for you, Christian, to go against the grain. And no matter who that person is, to be loving towards them, to be gentle towards them. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them about how how their day is going and listen to them. Show them them what they need to see. Christians who actually are living the faith and connected to that, Elizabeth, is that it, it says respect and respect. And that, as I explained in the book, is respect towards Jesus, who is standing there with us listening. So, so with those those three things, Elizabeth, I think that we're in a good position to go forward with confidence, that it all begins way before I'm actually in front of somebody with the Holy Spirit, the word, word and sacrament, my relationship with God, Christ holy in my heart. God prepares me. Step two, then when I'm actually out there, All I need is a a truthful testimony. I don't need to give an elaborate this or that. And thirdly, I get to show the world what it's starving for. Not further line of demarcation and us and them, but being gentle no matter what. So with that, I think it really simplifies what engagement is and it helps people to really kind of relax and calm down about the prospect.
0: You did a beautiful job in the book of doing just that, where it becomes, it, it's it's not hard to see how we can step back and do this in a way that uh, will benefit everyone, both ourselves and the people we're talking to, all for the glory of God. Listeners, we will share a link to Faith That Engages the Culture in the show notes, so you can hop over there and learn more about the book. It releases on February 2nd. We're excited for that. And we'll start to look forward to the third in, in the mix. It
1: has to be approved first, right?
0: <laughs> well, we've got to go through the process. <laughs> so Dr. Espinosa, thank you for being with us today. And listeners, we'll see you next time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.